Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Vanny. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn, Andrew Gunling. And J.J. Devaney, what's up, brother? Oh, Andrew, what a weekend. What an unbelievable weekend in football. Roy Keane is on social media. He's joined Instagram. It's incredible. He's a million followers in like two days. This is, this is the big football news, and it's the one I wish to discuss for the duration of this podcast. I, I hadn't seen that. Yeah. Is, is I this can only the hope end? that his, his social media persona, like, I, I hope he decides now I'm going to be dynamic and different than what, my, what people know me to be. And he becomes like this kind of like cutting edge influencer. <laughs> <laughs> like he'd be doing like um, adverts for skincare for men and, uh, and skinny jeans, things like that. Right. Or he's posting like fire festival memes, you know, just things that are kind of like, you know, out of, out of what we would have come to expect from a Roy Keane. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so too, but I don't think so. I mean, he, he posted something for uh, Valentine's day he said, show someone some love. And it's basically him being grabbed by Ian Bishop of West Ham round the neck. Right, see, that's something like I wouldn't, to me, Valentine's day doesn't feel like a holiday that would even register for him. Yeah. That's interesting. But um, I, throw him a follow. maybe we'll get him on one of our Friday chats on Caught Offside ESPN. Wow. That'd, that'd be huge. That'd be amazing. I might have to take off work that day. <laughs> uh, speaking of things happening later in the week, we will, this is of course a Monday podcast that we're doing right now, as you know, um, we will be back later in the week as well for a, uh, a Champions League first leg recap. Uh, some big ones, most notably Barcelona and PSG. Later this week, of course, I don't say this. I hope this doesn't come across the right way. I I say this with no glee at all. Um, But like as sure as the sun will come up tomorrow, Neymar suffers an injury at just the worst possible time like when looking at the Champions League calendar. It's incredible. Looking at his social calendar, uh, uh, Andrew, um, you know, there's birthday parties coming up. I, I am being extremely cynical here, but the reaction was, uh, a bunch of people tweeted us and said, well, his sister's birthday is on the way. So, you know, but, but, but what are they become... even implying <laughs> there? The joke is that it, this happens so often every year. Like it's, it's, it's beyond, it's beyond a joke now, really. He's guaranteed to get injured. It was an adductor strain. He suffered against Cannes last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this, he was bought to play in these games and he more often than not does not or he plays recovering from an injury. It's, it's, it's such a problem. It's unbelievable. But we'll talk about that again, just, just the first legs, but we'll talk about them uh, later on in the week. This podcast, though, let's focus on the here and now because uh, there's a lot to digest from what went on over the weekend and we'll get to as much of it as we possibly can. We have your mailbag coming up a little bit later in the show. Also, J.J., the CONCACAF Champions League draw was announced. I know that you cleared your schedule for it. Ooh, we, got um, some, we got some great sounding teams in this draw. Don't be like that. No. Your, arrogan- lo- your arrogance is... It's, it's not. I enjoy piercing saying... piercing through the computer screen. You know how much I love lower league football, and, and this is the epitome of that. I can't even tell if that in itself was also an insult in your attempt to compliment... Let's not even analyze it, but we'll talk about that a little bit later because I actually do have a couple thoughts on it that uh, were interesting to me, maybe others. I guess we'll find out. But let's start, JJ. Let's start uh, in England, as we are known to do. As let's is start our in, uh, Yes, and let's start in Manchester, as we are also known to do. Which club are we referring to? You're not sure yet. You're wondering. Manchester United, JJ. That is where at least I felt we should have uh, started today just because um, to me – this Ole Solshire roller coaster ride that has been this season, the ups and downs, like there is no end to this roller coaster. It is incredible. And the latest twist and turn on it is a 1 1 draw with West Brom in a match that I think a lot of people are kind of signifying as, as the end of Manchester United's title race. Now, I don't know if I would go that far. Uh, and I know Ole, credit to him, was also not willing to go that far. He, he had some pretty fiery quotes after the match about, um, you know, we are, going to, we are not going to make this easy for Manchester City, although results like a 1-1 against West Brom would maybe beg to differ. I mean, you're uh, making it very easy, Ole. <laughs> he 
when does the but, hard when when does making it hard start let me I, know i mean i guess the fact that they they still play each other so there is still you know there's a yeah. chance to take three points there but sure. I, I guess i just and we'll talk about the other side of this which jurgen klopp did um we'll talk about that later in the podcast when we discuss liverpool leicester city but i guess i just sort of like this unwillingness to concede a title in early february um yeah i think that that is whether it's true or not, whether it's real or not, I just think that that's the right attitude but, to kind of I mean, push down on your, on your team. I mean, but it's only, what, are we 10 days out from when he said we're stupid, we're fat, and we're ugly, and we, we were never in a title race? You know? Yeah. So, so make up your mind. Like what managers, I think it was John Giles said, the great John Giles said after, after games, what managers say after games, just take no notice of it. Yeah, I would Just like, ignore it. And also ignore what Harry Maguire says after games as well. Harry was convinced that the, the decisions aren't going for us. Well, Harry, of the, of the traditional big six, uh, VAR overturns are decisions that go for a club. Manchester United are top of that table with seven. You know, and, and, and that's not to say there wasn't contentious decisions in the game. But, you know, United have been bad for a while now. Like, they've, been, they've had a run of poor results interspersed with a 9-0 battering of, of a very willing uh, Southampton. You know, I think it was Seb Stafford Blower tweeted, at some point, individual rescue jobs by, by uh, Bruno Fernandez's A-team. You, get, you, know, you can't keep doing that. The 9-0 the that you mentioned is funny. Um, so I was watching NBC's post-game afterwards, yeah. and um, Danny Higginbotham was talking. And by the way, he's been great. I've really enjoyed him uh, on their coverage this year but he made a comment that was kind of funny to me. And he was talking, he was trying to kind of impress upon people this idea, which is true that Manchester United's defense is not up to snuff. It's not good enough. Oh yeah. And, and, but what he cited in that was the fact that United have scored 13 goals in their last three games and only have one win to show for it. <laughs> but one of those was a nine nil. Like, that's kind of why they have 13 goals. Hey, I don't, I don't have the home goals record in front of me, right? But the, I, I would say at least 50% of United's home goals scored this season at Old Trafford came in two games versus Leeds United and versus uh, Southampton. 15 goals in those games. Right. Like if, their know, last, gotta... if, if their last three games had been like four goals, four goals, five goals, and they only had one win to show, I'd say that's not good enough. But when one of them is nine, it like, okay, what, granted, another was a 3-3, but like it kind of changes the argument a little bit. And I, and I wanted to talk a little bit more about that because the narrative, it, it is true. Like I said, it is true that Manchester United's defending uh, is not good enough. And in the end, if they don't win a title this season, which we don't think they will, um, that will probably be what we'll look at as the, the primary reason why. However, I don't know that this game in particular would be the one that I would point to and say, see that, that's the problem. I'm not saying their defense was perfect. It obviously wasn't. We'll talk about the first goal that United allowed. Um, however, like Manchester United's attack is good enough where one goal from West Brom should not be enough to change what I believe the result is going to be. Rashford, yeah, right. Martial, Bruno Fernandes, I don't care that Pogba's not playing. You know, they bring on Greenwood. Um, like, Manchester United ended this game, I think, with an XG of 0. 0.57. Okay? <laughs> like, to me, that's, that is not a, that's not an issue of our defense isn't good enough. Both things can be true. You can also say that their defense is not good enough. Um, but if we're talking about this game in particular – this was not a game that I will point to and say their defending isn't good enough. This is one where I will say their attack let them down. Yeah, and, and I just you can focus on the last 10 to 15 minutes of a game. Um, and United are chasing that victory that's going to keep them, in, you know, at least on paper in, in, in the race. And Andrew, you've got Bruno Fernandes on the field. <laughs> you've also got Harry Maguire in the center forward position more often than not. Like this is, this is a problem too, that goes back to the manager. You know, you've got good, really good in some cases, attacking players and you are pushing for this win. And one of the main ways you're going to try and get this win is by whipping crosses onto the head of Harry Maguire, like kind of hoping for the best. Now he had a brilliant header. It almost paid off mm. that would like, 
it, it was an unbelievable header and it just hit the post right at the death. Incredible save could have been a, from Sam Johnston. Yeah, did he get his fingers on it? I thought it, it looked, I mean, the replays well, I saw afterwards, it looked pretty clear that he did at least get just enough to move it onto the bar. Well, he, he certainly made the most athletic dive to get there and covered a lot of space in the goal to get there. But you look at that and you think, is, is this all you've got? And I thought, is this the first time I've seen it? And I thought, no, it's not. Sheffield United, mm-hmm. the last 15 minutes against Sheffield United, just walloping balls into to Maguire. Um, yeah, just, just lame. And I do think that there's a, there's a problem in that, look at the Everton game. How much, you know, how much inspiration can you take from one player in Bruno Fernandes? It's, it's got to be, shared out a little bit more evenly. Well, I and think Steve mi- Nichol was saying on ESPN FC, and his point is, is so true, uh, just imagine where they would be without him. Oh, my God. Oh, my. You don't, you don't want to. If you're a Man United fan, that is a chilling thought. And I mean, look, is, everyone's he, roles change, so who knows if somebody takes, you know, if Rashford takes more responsibility and, and is an even greater player. Who knows? But to me, you, you remove that one guy from the equation – and they're kind of where, like, you know, I don't know, what, do you, what would you say, seven? Yeah, oh, like, yeah. Kind of in, like, the Tottenham, Everton. I mean, he's been brilliant. And, and if, you, if you're going to criticize, you know, you have to give United credit for pursuing and getting him. At one point, it didn't seem like it was going to happen. It was going to be another one of these lost chases for United. But he's been a brilliant purchase for them. And, um, but, but too much of it comes down to individual brilliance, Andrew. And not enough of it comes down to a coherent attacking play. Like by the end of the game, they had um, Cav- Ed- Ed- uh, Edinson Cavani on the field, Greenwood, Rashford, and Bruno Fernandes. Why are you lumping balls into, into Maguire? Mm-hmm. And, and, this, and this is not a West Brom team that doesn't concede goals. They can, they can be, <laughs> let's put it this way. And I'm, I mean this in uh, you know, the most generous possible terms. They can be got at. Mm-hmm. You know. Look what Leeds did to them. Come on, yeah. it's, it's just, it's not good enough. Yeah, I'm thinking now about the Bruno Fernandes question. If, if, there's any, if there's any other player like him where if you moved that guy out of the team, you'd see them just plummet in a way that we think United would. Like I'm wondering about maybe like Grealish with Aston Villa. Oh, yes. As a chance creator, Villa, as good as they've been in the transfer market and they have been, you take out Grealish, they're going to struggle hugely. That's a great right. That is a really perceptive shout by you. You're on, you're on form today, my man. <laughs> like, and I, don't, I think Manchester City have proven that like, like, I might have thought at one point in time that Kevin De Bruyne would be on that list, but I, I just don't, he can't no. be. He's disqualified completely from it. Um, I, I wanted to talk about the way this game started also, JJ, with okay. uh, West Brom getting that goal as early as they did and the outcry as to whether or not it, the goal should have been allowed. If there oh, was we, got, we, got, we got the screenshot sent to us. <laughs> Yes, I saw that from our buddy Berenson. He yeah, was all yeah. over it. He couldn't wait to, to send those screenshots. Oh, he's, I mean, his, his, his sense of injustice was, was palpable. And I mean, he, he had a point, but, but he also didn't have a point. Well, you know what I mean? Like, here's he the had, thing. I, I think I know where you're going with this. Uh, so before, and I'm, I'm probably whistling for a foul, probably. But also, Lindelof, would you like to join the game? Like, like Lindel, Andrew Lindelof was in a good defensive position. He was goal side, check. He was touch tight, check. And then he didn't attack the ball and he got mauled. Well, that, but that's it though. The last two words of that sentence got mauled. Like I, maybe you don't want to give the foul because you feel like you're rewarding a guy who isn't defending at his best, but should, how much should that matter? Like but Andrew, a foul if you, kind of is a foul, regardless right. of the action being taken by a defensive player. But do you you know what happens when balls are slung into the box like that on crosses? Often the grappling, the things that go on, is either called or not called, but it's never consistent. Like Harry Maguire's goal against Burnley, that goal should have been allowed. He powers through a defender who's passive, like he cleans him out of the way. He posterizes this guy and buries one in the corner, and the referee rules it out. And I'm like. What do you want Maguire to do? This defender is just standing underneath him, making no attempt to play on the ball. If, if he jumps, then it's a problem. Now, here's the thing as well. Um, 
the hand of Diana comes right across in front of Lindelof's face, just as the ball's arriving. Like, like, what is Lindelof doing? What is his, what is his uh, role in the game at this point, other than just being close to Diana standing there? I, I can see why it's a foul. Absolutely, I can also see why they were like, nah. Yeah, I mean, I lean, I lean pretty heavily foul on this one. I, I just, I think about it in two terms. I think about it in the sense first of, let's say it was the reverse. Like if a defensive player did that to an attacker, I think it's called a hundred times out of a hundred. And I know it's not exactly a defen- apples if a defense, apples. A defensive player does that to an attacker. Yeah, like if, if, if it was Lindelof going for the header there and his face – the defender is out of position and like, so the defender then grabs Lindelof's face to try to prevent him from getting, like, I, I think, I just think that's always no, going to be a penalty. That, that is a clearer, that is a clearer penalty in your mind than it is in, in reality. And I don't want to turn this into the Harry Maguire hour sponsored by Manchester United, but the listeners will help me out with this one as they always do. Maguire rest, <laughs> had his arms around someone at the start of the season uh, I can't remember what game it was in, like literally in a bear hug. Um, and there was no penalty called whatsoever for that. So like those kind of ones are not as clear cut as you think. Now I, I probably, but you have a, you have a player who's coming from behind Lindelof and using Lindelof's face as a way to try to leverage position. Why didn't I, did, I just did, think did, it's a foul. Yeah, and yeah. I, I kind of don't, I almost don't even think it's close. Like, yeah. I think they, I don't know. I think but, that it was kind but of then a we, blatant miss. Yeah, and then we, uh, we have to look at why VAR reviews everything. Everything's under review. VAR sees all. And so why is it not called in that I case? don't know. I guess I'm, I'm wrong. I, I, I guess it's the only thing I can say, that my not, opinion on this is wrong. I, not I don't wrong. Know. Anyway, let's not turn this into the VAR hour sponsored by Andrew Gundling. Uh, my last bit on this with Manchester United, like their season has like we talked about with this roller coaster ride with Oli, it, it's been so fun at times and you know they they reached top of the table a place that they hadn't been in quite some time and now it's spiraling in the other direction and i just wonder in terms of what kind of like what could have been you look at sheffield united and you look at west brom you look at some of these results and you just have to wonder what, even even though they're in second are, are they quickly becoming the most frustrating team to support in this league no, here's the thing andrew they don't beat the teams, right? So say that the top six or eight teams, they don't beat them, right? And, they, and they've lost a, a few games against teams that they, they should be beating. You know, it's not really frustrating. They haven't been able, like Arsenal, nil-nil. Liverpool, get hammered by Spurs. Draw with Manchester City. They're not exactly pushing themselves to the front of the pile. A lot of what a lot of the position of Manchester United right now in the table is to do with a run that they went on against teams they should have beaten. And also the fact that everybody else has dropped points around them. Would you be shocked, Andrew, if coming up the home straight, Chelsea powered through and finished second? Um, would I be shocked? Shocked is strong. I'm not, put it this way, I'm not going to predict that. It's not what I would expect to happen. Yeah, I just think that the nature of the season has put United in a position where they should have capitalized more. And in that sense, it's frustrating for sure. Yeah. But they haven't at all. No. And not in none of the big games. No. And that is, that's why I even suggest it yeah. as to whether or not they're the most frustrating team in the league. I don't know that I would say them, but they've got to be in the conversation, even in a season that I think has overall been a success for them. Uh, now let's look at the team that they're chasing uh, in Manchester City. Um, you look at the table right now, you look at the challengers or, or lack thereof, and it, it just kind of made me think about how this season has transpired with respect to Man City and with the title race. And I just wonder, like, we thought this was going to be wide open. Um, no, we didn't. I, we absolutely, I could probably go back and, and, cut the audio of us saying i think what things. we said was we expected manchester city and liverpool to drop off somewhat but that they would be the ones in contention for the title i'm pretty sure that's what we said uh now so now you've given me a homework and now i have no choice i have to go back and re-listen to but the that's homework. not a, that's a fair assessment right we thought this was going to be wide open look mm-hmm. at one point you were telling me that tottenham should be winning should be thinking about winning that's the when title. the seat when the season had started yeah we were probably i don't know a, a month two months in uh, 
Uh, it was. It was. It the, was. Pro- when did Liverpool play Spurs? Like that felt like that was when. Uh, that was when everyone said Liver- This was going to be the, history repeating, and Liverpool were going to run away. That was the it. end of November, start of December, I think. Okay, so yeah. we, that's deep enough into the season where I think we we had a picture that was painted up for us where it looked like things were going to be open to the okay. point where we were suggesting that Liverpool were going to be the ones running away. And now, Oh yeah. But that's, so, I mean, that's as recently as, as December. So yeah. as Christmas. All right. Exactly. Um, so with regards to that, I'm wondering and looking at Manchester city, were we wrong with all this or were we right? And city are just playing beyond what they should really be capable of. But like, again, you're, you're, do you remember when they drew 1-1 with, I think it was in November, with West Brom at home? Maybe it was even December. Like, Andrew, we weren't wrong to think, ah, this isn't just going to happen for them right now. Liverpool are probably going to win. They might drop a few points, but they'll, they'll probably win the title. Like, that wasn't an unreasonable position to come into. But what's happened since is, is really, really interesting. And you asked the question, are City playing beyond what they should be capable of? I, I think what's happened is Pep Guardiola has changed this team and tweaked this team to make it play beyond. And I was reading Football 365 today, and you're talking about playing beyond. Gundogan is the absolute example of this. Mm-hmm. Between the start of the season and December 12th, Gundogan had four shots and had five touches of the ball in the penalty area. That's between the start, so in October and December 12th. Since then, he's had 32 shots, the most of any Manchester City player, and had 46 touches in the opposition box. Of all regular starters in the Premier League this season, only Mohamed Salah can beat Gundogan's record of a goal every 125 minutes played. Like, Pep has, like he said in his press conference, was it yesterday, he talked about this team has come together. And we've we fought back from the bad moments earlier on in the season. They've gelled, they've solidified, they've found a way of playing without Kevin De Bruyne. They found a way to make Gundogan like this. I mean, let's be honest, for most of his Manchester City career, he wasn't even a guaranteed starter. No, he was. This is incredible what's happening with him. I don't care who you are, how smart you are, no one there's no reason that anyone could have foreseen what's happening with him right now. And and I'm giving the credit for uh, for also there's no way anyone could have foreseen Ruben Diaz and John Stones, the cop-buddy partnership that has come together and basically hardly concedes any goals anymore. Well, Diaz didn't even play. He didn't even one. play. And they found a way to figure Stones it out. Stones and, and Laporte. Yeah. So I give, I give Pep Guardiola all the credit for, for what he's done because we had some grim proclamations not so very long ago. No, like people thought Pep's, it was over. Yeah. And they're running away with the title now in February. It's, it's been incredible. Now, you, you often say this. I want to give you credit for this one, Andrew, because you say if you look at the depth that Manchester City have, it, it is conducive to being able to rethink a game plan midway through the season. You know, It's conducive to being able to say, hey, we don't have our centre-forward striker, so let's not play with one at all. There is... There is levels of depth in this squad that have been built up over but, a few but years. But this is this is different, though, like because it's a player, like Gundogan. It's not it's not really his job. At least it it never has been in his entire career to be the primary goal scorer. You know, when I think of depth, I think of you know, okay, like basically what we saw with the the part the center back partnership over the weekend. Like Ruben Diaz has been great. Maybe he needs a break. Let's just slide Amaric Laporte back in there. That's depth. Right. It to me, it's not, well, we're struggling with goal scoring. So let's move this midfielder who's never really scored goals in bunches in his life and change his positioning in a right. way that he's suddenly going to be our primary go to. Like but that's that, that's outside the box thinking. That's not just depth. That's the credit I gave Guardiola. There was a time when Liverpool would face Manchester City and if I saw Gundogan in the team, I was like licking my lips. Perfect. Because he was playing in a totally different position and a position that required more defensive, more defensive acumen. This has been brilliant from Guardiola and I'm not taking anything away from him. The, the, the turnaround in their season, the way he's orchestrated it, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and, and it's also, too, it's not just that, but it's, you know, we've talked about how impressive Phil Foden has been since he's really, truly gotten a run of games now. And, you know, we, we don't associate City with giving guys like that a chance, but clearly someone there, I assume Pep, recognized the talent in that player and, and recognized that he needed to play, and he's been rewarded for it. He's the most talented player Pep's ever worked with. The most talented player he's ever worked with. Just casting Lionel Messi aside. 
No, he's been very good, though. All, all jokes aside. He has. He, he really has been. I don't even know what to do with that comment. Yeah, he said it, not me. <laughs> Doesn't make it any less insane. <laughs> um, one other thing from this game, I don't have much to say. I saw you showed me the mailbag earlier, and there was a Tottenham question. Yeah, so hang on. Hold, hold the Tottenham yeah, till later. Then. The only thing that was um, specific to this game, like the Tottenham question later seemed to be more big picture and uh, just kind of depressing in nature. But um, I, I texted you after the penalty. Yeah. Um, I don't think that it's ever truly fair to expect a goalkeeper to make a save in a, in a penalty situation. I just think that like the odds are too much against them. However, Hugo Lloris tested the limits, I think, of how, how much we can truly expect out of a goalkeeper and just how unacceptable not saving a penalty can be. I, I also I agree with you. I think he's got to save that penalty. More than that, though, Andrew, it's an accumulation of uh, the midweek FA Cup game where he decided, I'm not going to save anything today. No, nothing. I will not be. You shall not hold me to this standard. Goalkeepers making saves. I demand a meeting with the union. Um, and and it's, it's 180 minutes of, of Hugo not really making any saves. His, doing... last, his last few years Ooh. have been so weird in that he goes through these moments like you're talking about right now, where it's just like, he can't save anything. And he's just like, it's one mistake after another. And then he goes through other moments when he's a hero for them. So I, I don't know. I saw that like Pochettino wants a Lloris reunion at PSG. May, uh, maybe that's a good idea to start thinking about that. I have no idea who their, their next goalkeeper would be. They probably have to sign someone. It's not Joe Hart. Uh, mm. So yeah, I don't know. Um, also, this was not a proud moment for Davidson Sanchez when uh, Gundogan just, I guess, turned him into a meme. Oh. If this was three or four years ago, he would be the falling through space meme. Remember that one? Was that the Messi? It was the Messi dribble. And who was the player that ended up getting uh, It was Boateng, right? Oh, was, was it Bayern Bo Munich? Yes, it was Bayern Munich. It was Boateng. Yeah, I think, I think and, it was Boateng. And, and basically, the, you know, the internet, all, well, you'll never defeat the internet. So they had this massive hole open up. And the flailing Boateng falls through it, through time and space, like Doctor <laughs> Who. Ding, 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 boo. And he's like, he ends up like in ancient Egypt and, and all sorts of different places. Um, yeah, Davinson Sanchez avoided that because we're sick of that meme now. Well, we'll see. There's the inter like you say, the internet is undefeated. Someone will find a way to, to, to use it and be creative. <laughs> um, JJ, let's go now to, uh, from that one to the team that we thought would be Manchester City's biggest challenger, and that is Liverpool. They appear to have really fallen out of it now. I saw that you took to Twitter after this. Oh, and don't, I, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me like I'm a Kardashian. Kim what? took to Twitter earlier to talk about the rumors regarding cellulite. So when I, when I was growing up, um, I'd go over to my buddy Adam. I'd go over to my buddy Adam's house, and we'd sometimes play video games. And he had an older brother who was like four years older. <laughs> and no older brother, like no matter what, the circumstances, the age, like how old you get, like he, the older brother always believes that they should be winning at anything. And so older brothers, they're like the internet. They want to remain undefeated. Right. And, and so sometimes Adam was good at, at certain video games and he, he beat his older brother and his older brother would always say, you didn't beat me. I lost. <laughs> he would never give him an ounce of satisfaction <laughs> over these wins yeah you know, it was always on like you didn't actually do this it's just because I, I allowed this to happen basically and i felt like that was kind of the sentiment that you were putting out there read read the, liverpool uh, after this loss to leicester city read the tweet you coward don't, I don't just have tell in, me i don't have it in front of me oh just, what but don't don't tell me there was a vibe that i put out on twitter uh, my vibe was i felt uh yeah i felt the defeat what i said was uh, this is the worst of all because it was unnecessary. And I do feel it was unnecessary. And I will go through the ways it was unnecessary. I'm sure um, you have them all very well cataloged. <laughs> well, first of all, let's get to it then. Um, I thought Liverpool played well for most of the game. I thought they played well. Uh, Leicester had a couple of first half chances, the Vardy header and Vardy clipping the bar. But I think Liverpool were the dominant side in play. And also Salah was in on goal twice himself. Um, uh, I got worried about Milner coming off and Thiago coming on, uh, more of which I will get to. Mm -hmm. um, Leicester were much better going forward in the second half, but I thought Liverpool coped. 
And then we score a spectacularly beautiful goal, which you even text me about with Bobby Firmino. I actually thought Leicester responded well and we were in the back foot and we needed to defend well. So obviously we decided not to defend well. Tiago again, that could have easily been a penalty, but it wasn't. Um, and they score from that. I'm not going to get into VAR. Allison has a meltdown. The shape is gone. Harvey Barnes scores. Good night. Those are my... Those, and I don't think that's an unfair summation of the game either. I, I actually, I lost focus about midway through. I, I'm, I apologize. <laughs> no, um, I thought Leicester were better in the second half and like they punished Liverpool. But I, if you're going to tell me that Allison coming out of goal and like, Kung Fu kicking the air was part of Brendan Rodgers' great plan to defeat them, then, you know, I'm not having that. So did, what was, did Brendan say something afterwards that particularly, because I know you were preparing for some sort of tremendous character rant from Brendan Rodgers. Ah, no. Did he actually say anything that, uh, that wound you up? Not, not really so much as that he didn't mention the mistakes. It was more about Leicester's excellent second half play. And I'm like, there's an elephant in the room here and he's Brazilian with goalkeeping gloves and he's falling all over the place. So let, I mean, can we, let's talk about him for a sec. Right. What is happening here? Is this just a moment of his confidence just completely betraying him? He's, well, he's, he was maybe the best goalkeeper in the league and he's in the blink of an eye unrecognizable to that player. Well, before I give my opinion, it's always important to go to the man of gloves, oh. the man of latex, Sir David of Priest. Um, doesn't look like a bad decision to come by Allison, but for someone so vocal, there seemed to be a total lack of communication or understanding between him and Quebec. I couldn't hear a shout anyway. City game was an aberration, but two games in a row is a problem. For what it's worth, I think Klopp said afterwards also that from the sideline, he didn't yeah. hear any communication. So that puts it straight. So Allison is in the dominant position. He can see the whole field. He can see Jamie Vardy. He can see the whole Leicester attack. He can see Quebec. He can see the ball. He's got to put a name on it. He's also got to make contact with the ball. If he follows through that ball, it ends up out over the sideline, way down the field, and we're not talking about it. But he whiffs. He completely misses it. So... um. People were trying to blame Quebec. I, I, uh, no. Communication is going to be an issue when you've only been working with a player for a few days. But even still, that's on Allison. I don't think it's... I mean, it's not the first mistake he's made at the King Power. Um, in his first season at Liverpool, he, he had a kicking error there that, that led directly to a goal. Um, yeah, it's... it's I, I, you know, pe people talk about confidence... It's a different mistake than the brain farts he had against City, the collective brain farts, the, the brain cluster farts. Um, but it is of, but it's kind of in that same neighborhood. Like it's, it's the, the mental error yeah. rather than just, you know, poor shot stopping or something like that. But, uh, but I think there's, it's what he did in trying to clear the ball. Like he had loads of time to find a pass against City. He's made a decision to come against uh, for that ball against Vardy and Kabak. And he's got to, when he makes that decision, he's got to execute 100%. He's got to put his foot through the ball. He's got to make contact and he doesn't. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's concerning. Actually. No, it really, it, it is. It really is. I, it's like to a point now, when you see a guy making these kinds of blatant errors in back-to-back -back weeks, you start to feel sorry for him. Like the camera zooms in on him and you're just like, what's, what's he thinking about right now? Yeah. Can I talk about a place to hide? There is it, it's with a goalkeeper like that. You make a mistake like that anywhere else on the field. You'll probably get away with it. When you're the goalkeeper, it ends up with Jamie Vardy running the ball into the net. Yeah. Um, speaking of mistakes, Richard Jolly wrote this in the independent in the division as a whole, no footballer who has been on the pitch for as few minutes has conceded more free kicks. Andrew, the footballer's name, please. Say it one more time. No football who's been on the field. For the, as few, the, uh, it has to be Tiago. It is Tiago. Okay. It is Tiago, and I would imagine by some distance. Andrew, I'm wondering if the Germans have, have done it again. Um, if you remember in 2015, a World Cup winner coming off a, a recent World Cup win uh, ended up at Old Trafford um, from Bayern Munich. And we thought, oh, that's an interesting move. He's, he's just, you know, in his early 30s. Great signing by Louis van Gaal. That midfielder was Bastian Schweinsteiger. Oh, yes. And, th and then we realized he couldn't run. His legs had gone. And I'm watching um, Thiago. Now, 
Tiago's coming in for a lot of criticism, but Tiago's really playing in a position that I don't think Jurgen Klopp had envisioned him playing as deep as that. And defensively, Andrew, he's all over the place. That free kick that he gave up for the goal was just scandalous. He ends up getting square to the ball. He just dangles a foot out, could easily have been a penalty. Um, he's off the pace. And it's partially because of the way Liverpool have had to shift pieces into different areas of the field. But I'm, I'm generally just concerned. He, he goes to ground so much, he couldn't tackle a dinner. Like, he's, he's really, really poor. Um, and partly blaming him, partly wondering if it's because, well, not wondering. I know it's because he's out of position. He's not where Jurgen Klopp intended. But it just goes to show you how having Henderson out of that midfield it's like a domino effect. It changes everything then further up the field. And Thiago's been asked to do things I don't think he can do. Apparently not. I guess we're learning that. But this is, to me, this is like, this is on him to a certain extent. Like, I, I think we ex kind of just expected Thiago to be at least a little bit more productive, regardless of, of what his role is. Like, it just feels like, he, I don't know, he's slower than maybe what I... That, that's my point. Was, or, yeah. like, like Bayern were, were really kind of not bothered. I say not bothered. There was a, a drawn-out transfer, okay, but Bayern seemed pretty okay with letting him go. And I'm just wondering, again, if their metrics are their, their numbers, they looked at him and they thought, you know, not yeah. the, I'm not saying his legs have gone. That is the dramatic, proper football man. His legs have gone. He's done. Forget about it. I'm not saying that, but it's concerning. He does not get around the field the way I thought he would. No. I saw Jermaine Genus was talking about him uh, at the BBC. He said there'd been a lot of talk about their midfield. They haven't got the legs in there, and when you have a weak link or something missing, it breaks down. And Tiago was a really weak component without the ball. It seems clear to me he is doing things he shouldn't. Wow. So Jermaine Genus just summed up much, much, much more concisely what I've been saying in the last five minutes. Yeah, it's, wor it's worrisome. Because I think that was supposed to be a big signing for Liverpool. We talk about trying to keep a squad fresh when they're from a position of power. And I think people cited the Thiago move as that. Uh, and it's, it's not working. And you, you wonder now, with, with Fabinho, when Fabinho returns, what does Klopp do? Does Klopp say, right, let's get Fabinho and Henderson into the midfield? Do I leave Henderson at centre-back alongside one of the newbies? Do I play the two newbies and just say, be damned with it? We're not getting the experience back of Matip or, Oxley, or um, Virgil van Dijk. So we just play Davies and, and Quebec together and Oof. try. Yeah, I know. That's, that is a noise. That is a noise that I agree with, Andrew. That is a woof. I don't know about that. Um, but he's got a decision to make. Does he try and stop or sort things out in midfield and get Thiago further up the field and get Henderson back into position and, and play two newbies? I don't know. Yeah. Were you okay afterwards? A lot of people were making a big deal of, of Jurgen Klopp uh, truly in no uncertain terms conceding that their, the title race for them was over. Yeah. What, what he said was, um, yeah, he, he, he couldn't believe it. Uh, people were saying he was, he was crying a little bit in the interview. I think it's been a, I didn't a very... see that. Maybe it was a different interview. I didn't see him crying. Yeah. No, he, he seemed kind of emotional at, at the very least. Um, I think it's been an unbelievably difficult few weeks from beyond what we knew. We didn't realize that his mother has been dead for weeks and he hasn't been able to go home or, or, or do any of those things, which is a situation many people have found themselves in in the last year. And it's horrifying. Mm -hmm. um, I was fine with what he said, Andrew. It's okay. I mean, like I said, after matches, the things he said right were that we were going to come together and the only way we get out of this is by playing good football. Um, and I agree with that. And yeah. they need... They actually need more of what they did against Leicester for the first 75 minutes. More of it. Uh, let's see. A couple others here that uh, wanted to mention before we got out. We were talking about Allison's goalkeeping errors. I guess that's kind of a transition into Arsenal and Leeds, um, where a costly goalkeeping error from Leeds led to one of the Aubameyang goals. Yeah. Big performance from Aubameyang, JJ. Uh, of all the players in this league, I can think of few who needed a game like that more than him. Absolutely, Andrew. He was, um, I mean, and he hit the, he could have had four goals. He, he hit the frame of the goal with a, a lovely sweep and move and he just swept the ball onto the, uh, onto the upright. I wonder how much he was enlivened and rejuvenated by the youth that was immediately behind him. Look at the, the three that played behind him in, in uh, attacking midfield. Mm -hmm. um, Smith Rowe, Odegaard and Saka, who had a brilliant game. 
that's um that's a fresh Arsenal team. You had Sabias in behind, who played that unbelievable pass through Matthias Click's legs for the for the goal for uh, Bellerin. Uh, you had Granite Xhaka, and then you had yeah Saka, Odegaard, and and Rowe. Um, and for Aubameyang's uh, near or far post header, uh, I mean the ball that Rowe plays is incredible. It's so, just so. I wanted to talk about that. Not that ball in particular, but what you're talking about with the lineup yeah. and, and with the quality of these passes. And I can't help but wonder, like, we've talked about how since Ozil left, you know, or, or not just left, was kind of like no longer a part of whatever Arsenal were going to be doing, they haven't really had a, qual- a true quality passer. And we thought briefly, okay, maybe Ceballos was it, but then he got hurt. And he was out of the lineup for a while and you kind of forgot about him. Now he's back and you see his quality back on display. And now they have Odegaard and Smith Rowe is now in. And all of a sudden it feels like they have a bunch of quality passers. And I wonder if the, if the big loser here coming out of this weekend is Alexander Lacazette. If they would prefer yeah. now to just have, go with this, have Aubameyang be the guy that all of these quality passers are just trying to make plays into. And if Lacazette will just kind of now be relegated to like, a super sub should they need a goal in the last 20 minutes of a game. I, I don't know. It seems like I know it's Leeds and I know Leeds play wide open. So it, it, sure. it can be a little bit deceiving in watching the way Arsenal kind of slice them up. Right. Um, but I do wonder if they, if Ar- Mikel Arteta found something here. Okay. These guys, this is sort of the formula I've been looking for to get Aubameyang back into goal scoring form. Yeah. It wasn't so long ago that me and you were screaming that Aubameyang and Lacazette have to play together. And, and now you're, you're, you're looking down the barrel of that not being the case at all. And, um, you know, the fans are going to get behind this. There's nothing like having three young players, you know, wearing the Arsenal shirt. Also, they're more mobile than Lacazette. They're going to do more for you in transition to defense. They're going to do more for you in, in their movements in attack. This, you're probably right. The only thing you would say is that Aubameyang, being the age he is, there's going to be times where he's going to need to be rested or that he may pick up injuries or knocks and then Lacazette could slot back in there. But um, yeah, and, and I do think your word of caution is correct. This is Leeds United and they are super open. I mean, the stats from this game are really interesting. Uh, Arsenal had 13 shots, Leeds had nine. Both teams had five shots on target. Possession-wise, 45% to Arsenal, 55% to Leeds. Like yeah, some now some of that I feel like stuff like that can be a little bit skewed just because Arsenal were up four nil pretty quickly uh, in the grand scheme of things. So at that point, like I would expect possession statistics to tilt towards Leeds because Arsenal are no real they're no longer really going to be trying to score goals. I think you know they were probably content to just defend at that point. And by the way, they gave up two goals fairly quickly, and I thought it was going to be setting up for potentially thrilling final twenty twenty five minutes. Um, it didn't really, it didn't come to fruition that way, but there was, there was a brief moment where I was like, I was getting ready to turn this off. Maybe not. Yeah. There was, there was mention of uh, Arsenal. The last time they set a record in this regard was 10 years ago against Newcastle when they were four nil up. And then uh, we all remember the Czech Teote equalizer for four, four. That's the only time that's happened in the premier league where teams come back from four nil down. So Yeah. That kind of excitement felt like it was on the cards. There were certainly a lot of people who were reaching for the remote thought, hang on a second. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I was definitely one of them. Um, and then finally, JJ, on the heels of their, their five-goal thriller over Spurs in the FA Cup, Everton come out with just a dud against Fulham. Um, they registered uh, half a goal of XG, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> At home. Just, I mean, it's yeah, not the first time we've seen this. They've done it against Newcastle, but this was um, – this was pretty horrifying. Yeah, there was really – it was a pretty lifeless performance, and I guess it was just so jarring to Everton supporters because it was coming off of probably their most, their most exhilarating performance. Maybe stuff like that is normal. I wonder if anybody's ever actually done a study of, like, how teams perform following a, a midweek thriller. Right. Yeah. You know, if there is just some sort of, like, natural letdown or – I don't know, if it's exhaustion – from playing in a game like that, that still hasn't fully healed itself. I, I don't know, but that was, that was, uh, that was a tough one for Everton. Don't forget that that's their third game in how many days, you know, they were at United the weekend before they scored three goals, there. dramatic comeback. Uh, then they have the dramatic game midweek and then they have the dramatic game. Uh, they have this game at the weekend. Maybe this was a bit of uh, 
you know, a hangover from those two games of exertion. I'm, yeah. making, I'm making excuses here. I, I, can, I, can I tell the truth, Andrew? I watched highlights of this game, but I looked at this fixture and I thought, Everton versus Fulham, with all the football I've already watched this weekend, this is the one where I take a step back and I go for a walk or I do something else. So what'd you do? I went, I went for a walk. Just went for a walk. Actually, okay. no, I went, for, um, I went for a cycle. That's what I did. A nice cycle, which I'll, I know concerns you I deeply. I will reserve comment. I'm just glad that you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, look, let the Everton fans chime in and tell us exactly how bad this was. But um, the stats and the highlights did not lend themselves to, um, to suggesting that this was anywhere close to what Everton have uh, produced in the last two games, both yeah. cup and league. You'll say let the Everton fans chime in. Uh, one of them did. Uh, yesterday, I feel bad because I didn't get back to it, and now I'm responding to him on a podcast that many thousands of people listen to, but uh, Doug, I, I don't know where I wasn't near my phone, I guess. I don't know. And I, I like reached for my phone a couple hours later and I had like a stream of messages where he was just venting over the yeah. frustration. You know, I was, I nearly, I, I, I was supposed to text our, our Everton sporting friend, Doug. I should have, I, it's, it's too long since I text him. Um, but I didn't after the game because it was like, when I saw the result, I was like, I should ask Doug how this was. And then I'm like, no, that's like jumping on, you know, just let him, let him percolate, let him breathe a bit. So more. basically, I'm not going to read this because it's, it's just riddled with swear words. But what, I w- what I'll say is that the general message that he's saying is it's the frustration of being an Everton supporter is exactly games like this where you're coming off of, you know, against say, make jokes all you want about Tottenham, but like some good opposition where you play like that, you know, score five goals against Spurs coming off of three goals against United. You've got games at hand. Yeah. He's talking about, and like, and then it's the quote unquote easy opponents in Fulham games like that, that you, you think, okay, this is where we really start to make up ground. That's where they let you down. And it is frustrating. Can um, I, uh, can I give Fulham some credit here? Of course. Um, Dave, if you, if you've seen Fulham this season, particularly since Christmas, there's been games where you're like, they were not that far off. They were in the hunt and they played some good stuff and they didn't really get the rewards that they ah, deserve is not a thing in football. But, you know, they could have been on the, on the better side of some results against big teams too. Um, also, uh, I suppose some Sunderland Till I Die watchers will have noticed the emergence of uh, Josh Maja in this game who was, of course, the want-away young man who ended up at Bordeaux, was it, in France. And um, he left Sunderland in League One to go to Bordeaux and in League One. And now he's back in England with yeah. uh, Fulham and scoring goals. Great yeah. debut. Yeah. One last bit from Doug here, because uh, I thought this comment was interesting. He said, every club has their thing. I'm sure as a Spurs fan, you just look at them sometimes and wonder, why are you like this? <laughs> I feel like that's a funny line that a lot of fans can probably relate to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, I will save my sympathy, though, for another club that didn't just beat my team 5-4 in the FA Cup. Um, JJ, we have, a, uh, we have a mailbag? Don't ask like that. Of course we do. Caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com. ESPN, where you can join us for our Friday chats, which are, I mean, they're taking the nation by storm. Me drinking tea, chatting soccer with you. And um, at COSoccerPod on Twitter. Also, get on iTunes. Leave us a review. Also, follow us on Twitter. I'm going to get this Twitter handle to 10,000 followers if it kills me. Um, Josh begins our, our mailbag. Everyone's hate-watched other teams before, but have you ever hate-watched your own team? That is the only way to watch Spurs nowadays. Hashtag mailbeasy. Um, Andrew, I'm going to throw the floor open to you, Senator. Um, I, I, I agree with the hate watch. I, I have hate watched Liverpool. Let me just get this out of the way. There were times when, you know, that era about 10 years ago um, where it was Roy Hodgson as manager and things were just going so badly. And you're like, we need something catastrophic to happen, like a terrible result so we can move on from this. Um, instead, we got a, a period of uh, just bad, many bad results. But yeah, I've, I've been there with my team before. It's, it's not so much hate watching. It's, it's utter frustration with the situation and yeah. leaning, in, leaning into your feelings of negativity. I wonder if you'll do this too, where if this is hate watching, then I guess I have done this, where like I'll reach a point when I'm, when I'm watching a game and it's like on the series of frustrating games, kind of like where Tottenham are now, and they'll commit, like they'll be losing. It'll be like the 80th minute. 
they're not going to win. They'll commit, you know, a bad foul. And I'll be like, oh, come on. Yeah, give them red. Be red. Like, I want them to be punished. You know, like, <laughs> I want them punished for, for how they've treated me. Like, I'll, mm. I'll get to that kind of level where I'll, I'll almost root against them because uh, I want them to be, like, as angry as I am. There was, there was parts of, of the time when, when Mario Balotelli was at Liverpool and I knew from the beginning this can't work. You can't replace Luis Suarez with Balotelli. This, this shall not work. Where when things were going wrong, it wasn't a hate watch feeling or a joy. It was, I am vindicated. I am <laughs> oh, vindicated. Well, if there's one thing I know about you, it's that you'll root to be right over all else. Uh, one more thing about Spurs before we move on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> one of the weirdest injury reports in the history of Spurs, mm-hmm. in the history of sports, rather, happened midweek. Now, I want you to tell me if this is part Mourinho doing and making an unnecessary comment or if it's genuinely the weirdest thing you've ever heard in an IR report. Uh, Jose Mourinho, speaking before the aforementioned FA Cup game against Everton midweek, said that Gareth Bale was out because he had some feelings. <laughs> like, and then he said he wanted to stay, like, not even specify what kind of feelings or where, but he wanted to stay and work with the sports science people rather than travel to the game. And this just lit the internet on fire. He was, my, here's my point of view. Why would you not just say he's, he's got a knock? Garrett uh, didn't feel good in training yesterday. We're having him assessed. Just do that. But it was humiliating for him to say he had some feelings. Well, I think he was upset. And look, the the manager, it's probably always the manager's job to be the bigger man in any situation. Mourinho is not going to be that guy. He doesn't play those games. (laughs) So, like... I think maybe Mourinho would have gone that route had Bale not tweeted about how good his training session was because now he's making Mourinho look bad. Oh, so if, if Josie I Mourinho... Did, I didn't know that part. Oh, yeah. Bale tweeted about how he had such a great training session. Oh, so geez. now he's making Mourinho look bad by Mourinho not picking him. So at this point, Mourinho probably feels, well, he's left me no choice but to embarrass him. I need to let people know that this guy, that that, that tweet is a lie. Uh, so did he I think tweet it or Instagram it? Cause I can't, uh, find I, it. I don't remember which, but just Google bail training session or whatever. And I'm, and something will probably come up about it. Right. So like that, I think is what sparked that, um, boy, the Gareth Bale thing. It just, it really hasn't oh, gone yeah. Yeah, the I way we it. thought you've seen it now. Okay. Yeah. Instagram. Right. Okay. Instagram. <laughs> so like, I, I've got so many questions about Bale that like one day I would love to sit down not even with Mourinho but anyone on this Tottenham team to tell me what is actually what was actually going on was he training great and for whatever reason Mourinho isn't picking him because Bale doesn't do the things Mourinho wants him to do like there's part of me that just wonders sometimes I just like I don't know that Gareth Bale loves soccer Right. I just I can't help but wonder that sometimes. Are you, are you doing the Jurgen Klopp thing where he said about Daniel Sturridge? Remember the famous words: "He needs to know what real pain is. He needs to play through the pain a little bit." Remember that? Where no, he no, said, no. I'm not suggesting that Bale is making more of injuries than what they are. I just wonder if he, he's not bothered. If he, yeah, if he just doesn't care to the level that he should, and to. It's such an unfair thing to say because I have no idea what's going on in his head, but you sometimes just don't get the feeling that he does. And mm. it probably incenses the manager and it might, it, it could really cause a rift in a training in a mm. locker room, knowing the wages that this guy is on. If he's not giving the sort of effort that you would hope anybody would, let alone somebody who's making like 10 times that of other players on the team. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know. All I know is it's, it's, it has not gone well. Um, and, and I saw this. This was interesting, again, from Jermaine Genus at BBC. And Genus, remember, was a teammate of Bale's at Tottenham. So he, he might kind of know what makes him tick a little bit differently than others. He said the highlight of – because Bale came on against Manchester City and actually played pretty well. And Genus said the highlight of Bale's 18-minute cameo off the bench against Man City was obviously his dribble past three men that ended with a shot that forced Ederson into a decent save. But I also spotted a moment when he was back in midfield and turned around to his defense to yell at them to get up the pitch. There were a couple of other little things like that. Not a flash of fabulous skill, but bits and pieces of attitude or intent, which made me think, hang on, he's actually interested here. He cares. 
That's the very least I expected to see from Bale when he came back to Spurs on loan from Real Madrid in September. But for the whole time he has been there, moments like that have been too few and far between. Like, I get what Genus is trying to do. He's trying to say, wait a minute, maybe there is some life left after all in this guy. Mm. But that is really, that's a worrying indictment, not from me as a fan, but from a former teammate of Bale's and a guy who does this for a living to say that, like, the moments of seeing Bale care have been few and far between. Coming back to the club where he made his name, where you would think he would, not to say care more than at any other place, but maybe. So, like, that's... I don't know if Real Madrid basically, if they warned Tottenham and said, look, this is what you're getting, but Tottenham felt like they were desperate. Who knows? Um, but a lot of the things maybe that we criticized Real Madrid for when they weren't playing uh, Bale, maybe we're starting to see why Real Madrid weren't so dumb after all. Maybe they kind of knew what this guy was about. Right. We're um, Before we get off this Bale thing, we are both men in our 30s, so therefore – if we were to do an injury report right now, whatever ache or pain you're feeling, and everyone when they hit 30 starts feeling little things, if we were to print a caught offside injury report right now, Andrew Gundling is out with shoulder. Right. Yeah. Shoulder. That's a long standing injury from basketball. I am out with flaky scalp. That is the worst Whoa. thing that is afflicting me right now this morning. Change your shampoo, man. What's wrong with you? Yeah, no, it's dehydration. I really need to get more water in. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Nate Hardy, a buddy and I were having a conversation about the U.S. men's national team and what would we be willing to sacrifice for a World Cup? This is obviously um, an imaginary scenario. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, no, I mean, you can't, we can't sacrifice uh -oh. things towards... I thought you meant the idea of the U.S. winning a World Cup. I don't believe that's... Uh... I don't believe that's fantasy at all. I stated I'd be willing to sacrifice every game from any other team in any other sport I ever supported if it meant we won the cup when we host in 2026. Made me curious. What would you be willing to sacrifice if it meant the US or Ireland won the World Cup? I, I'm going to... This is our soccer Lent, I suppose. <laughs> yes, we are like Jesus in the desert. What are we willing to give up? Um... I'll start off by saying not that, not what they're willing to give up. Is that if that makes me a bad fan, I'm sorry, but I yeah, no, I'm not I can't abandon every other team that I love. I mean, this is obviously a, an absurd scenario, but Ireland, I'd just like us to score a goal. I mean, we scored what one goal in 2020. Like we are so far from this that I can't even comprehend a fantasy scenario. So I'm going to slide it over to you. What are you willing? To I don't up? know. I mean. Like I'm trying to think, are there are there body parts that I'd be willing to lose or uh, that shoulder of yours? You don't use it anymore since you quit. How do you remove those. a shoulder? <laughs> Can be done. Uh, I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, like I said, I, I can't. I would not give you would up. Not you would not allow the Eagles to like tank for the next four years, five years. No way. Like when they say that, like how was it that they phrased it? Just that. Um, I'd be willing to sacrifice um, ice, every game. What does that mean? Like that that team doesn't exist anymore or that team just won't win again no, for five years? Yeah, like, I mean, I would say that they won't win again. Nate, Nate stated, I'd be that. willing to sacrifice every game from any other team in any other sport I ever supported. But like, again, I don't, like I care. Soccer is the main thing to me. That is what I care about the most, you know? So like if the Giants, I mean, I've also seen two, giant Super Bowls in my time supporting them. No, so. but, but, but what they're basically asking is, would you be okay with Liverpool getting relegated if it meant Ireland could win a World Cup? No. Okay. That's, I mean, that's pretty much what they're asking. No. And, it, yeah, and by and the it, way, I, I'm not, I don't know. It's a tough one. Yeah. Oof. Uh, we'll think about that, Nate, and maybe next week we'll have a better answer. Josh Van Drunen. Been listening to the pod for almost five years now on a recommendation of a college roommate. We continue to bond over you sparring. <laughs> I recommended it to numerous folks and haven't had one who came back to say they didn't enjoy it. Thank you. Um, I've looked to find archive pods, but only been able to go back to 2018. Is there a way you might re-release some of the early days? Or is there a place on the interweb where we might listen to the pod in its infancy? I'm imagining a warm fire, an oversized stuffed chair, and a photo album of nostalgic pods. Franks for the good work. Um, yeah, I don't that, know. That, I don't know how we do we, that. We get this question so regularly, and I guess what happens is that off the ESPN app and Pod Center and iTunes, eventually these pods get deleted and moved on to create more space. 
Um, there's some good ones from 2018. That was a World Cup where we were so busy and we had, we had a lot of fun with those. Um, those are, that's probably my favorite year of podcasting, I would think, 2018. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what we do. I, I like the idea of going back, back and like getting segments, like really funny segments or good interviews that we did and bringing them forward. I would love that was, to do that. That was kind of our five stars, five years review. We, we kind of did that. I guess the next time we'll, we'll do that is 10 years. Yeah. We got to find it somewhere that, uh, I mean, these podcasts all exist. Like we have the MP3 saved on a computer, right? But like in terms of like a space, I don't know people who know more technically, like I don't want to just suddenly re-release these on the feed. No, that's not a good idea. Um, what, what, what might be good is that maybe on some podcasts in the future, we have like, we, we pick a segment, like for example, just this weekend, someone asked for us to play the Ray Hudson game show again, mm. you know, which even Ray Hudson endorsed. That's yeah. one of our best. Like we should re-release that one in the middle or, of. A- you're right. We should also just flat out do that again. Yeah, yeah. that was great. But yeah. we need all our sound effects working. So got to figure that out. Is that it for the mail? That is the mail. Bizwa. Good stuff. As always, at CO Soccer Pod on Twitter, caught offside pod at gmail.com and caught offside ESPN on Instagram. I yeah, believe. that's right, Andrew. When are you going to join us in the Friday chats? I told you I would love nothing more than to, to log on and heckle you, but I'm at work. It's not easy. Um, <laughs> let's see. Before we get out, JJ, uh, a few other stories that I wanted to mention uh, here in MLS. Orlando City sign Alexander Pato. Yes. Should it be concerning that the hype video I watched featured most of the uh, 2013 highlights and nothing beyond 2015? <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's interesting that Pato is following Kaká's footsteps yet again. Yeah, he was the most, um, this is from ESPN, he was most recently on the books of Sao Paulo, his second stint with the club. He scored nine goals in 35 league and cup appearances, but he's been without a team since he and Sao Paulo reached an agreement in August of 2020 to terminate his contract. He had four goals and two assists in the 13 games he featured in in the 19 and 20, 1920 Brazilian season. For whatever that means, I don't know. I literally had forgotten about him. I didn't think he was still playing. I thought he was older than 31, but he's not. When you told me he was 31, I, I almost had to look it up myself because I didn't believe you. Yeah. I, look, he's, he's go, they're going to pay for him with some GAM um, money. They're going to, he's not going to be a designated player. It's a contract for a season. Uh, I, th- I mean, it makes me wonder what they think is going to happen with Daryl DK. Yeah, who, by the way, played really well over the weekend. Yeah, he had an assist, although yeah. I think most people on the internet decided it was a shot. Um, but it doesn't matter. He had an assist uh, that ended up uh, in a goal for Barnsley. So um, I don't know. I, I don't know about Pato. Is, can he still do it? What's his injury situation? Don't know. It's definitely not the kind of move I thought Orlando were going to do. I thought they'd moved on from that. Like, this is early stage MLS behavior. Well, maybe, look, I mean, think of what a success Nani has been for them. You know, a player that we probably, after that signing was made with the direction MLS was going, that might have been a signing that we would have been like, oh, come on, really? But but Nani's career hasn't been as interrupted by injury as Pato's. It just hasn't, like... And Nani was at a decent level, even coming from Europe. Like he was, he feels like more of an active player. This is a guy who hasn't played in months, Andrew. Months. Pato is one of those players who, every once in a while, I feel like FIFA, the video game, will just get one wrong. And like, I feel like he was somebody that they bought the hype. And I, I don't know, but like, probably in like FIFA, like 2013 or somewhere around there, like he had a rating of like mid 90s and just yeah. like, I mean, he had a ter- it just didn't, it didn't mesh with reality. You know what? We should get the Wikipedia on Tim Vickery to talk about him. That would be a good, that's a good one. I'm, we might do that before the MLS season starts. Uh, let's see. Um, speaking of uh, MLS, uh, the CONCACAF Champions League, like I said, the draw was announced. I'm not going to go through all these. By the way, I had mentioned before that um, the, the format was changing. That is, of course, not the case yet. They're still in the format of no group stage straight to uh, the, the knockout stage of 16. Right. I'll, I'll only go through the MLS ones right now. Columbus Crew get uh, Real Esteli from Nicaragua. I don't have much to say about that one. I would think that Columbus, they should be able to handle that. That would be one of the biggest upsets of the, of the knockout stage if they don't advance. Atlanta United FC get LD Alohensei uh, from Costa Rica. 
And I would say that this is probably the, the sneaky, difficult matchup for MLS clubs in this round because, um, you know, you're talking about a team right now that is the best in Costa Rica, which generally I feel like if you're the best team in Costa Rica, then you're probably the, the best team in this tournament outside of MLS or Liga MX, which by the way, and by the, they may prove to be one of the better teams in this tournament, including those. Uh, Brian Ruiz, JJ, Johan Venegas, who we remember from Montreal and Minnesota. Yeah. Um, so like that's, it's not, that will not be easy for Atlanta United FC. Um, I would keep your eyes on open for that. Very super stingy defending um, for that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, Gabriel Heinze and um, he's going to be a name we're going to say again after probably a decade of not mentioning him. And then another Costa Rican side, Saprisa, who's usually the one that we identify as the best, uh, one of the better teams, the best team in Costa Rica. They're right now second to Alohense, but uh, they will face the Philadelphia Union. Um, I have a Saprisa jersey. Oh, do you really? Yeah, so I'm going to be wearing that just to uh, just to annoy you. This should be. This will not be. This is not an easy matchup for Philadelphia. Um, not only is the opponent difficult, uh, you know, Saprisa has Kendall Waston, uh, Christian Bolanos, David Guzman, like guys who are former MLS players who know the league very well. Uh, but the Union too, like this is a tough way to just jump right back into the pool um, without Brendan Aronson. McKenzie, like this is, this will be a difficult reintroduction to soccer. Uh, and we'll see how quickly the union are able to adjust without a couple of their key pieces. So that's, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit worried about that one. You're worried. Every, everything concerns you. Not everything, but I think that does. And I think I'm justified in, in feeling a little bit concerned about it. Uh, Portland Timbers get CD Marathon of Honduras and Last but not least, we don't know yet. Toronto FC still have to win the Canadian Championship over Hamilton Forge FC. If they do that, which I, they should, then they will have probably the most difficult task of all against Club Leon of, uh, of Liga MX. That's so a tough draw. That will be, that will be difficult, yes. Um, let's see. Before we get out, also, JJ, wanted to mention Barcelona and Real Madrid in La Liga, hard charging for that top spot. Still a decent-sized gap between Atletico Madrid and now Real Madrid, who are second, Barcelona are third. Um, but I do wonder at what point an Atleti fan might start to feel a, a little bit nerves with those two coming up from behind. Well, they've got two games in hand, right? So yes. over, got... I think two at hand. Over Real. And is it one over Barcelona? Correct. Or is it two and three? Let me look. While you're talking, let me look it up right now. Right, okay. But they've got, I mean, let's look at the, the league matches that they've got to come up. So they've got Levante, um, they're going to Villarreal, and then on March 7th, they will play in the Madrid Derby, which is the big game. Now, obviously, they've got Chelsea in between in the, in the Champions League, but um, that could be, that could be the, the game, not that decides it, but it could be a crucial game in the race is March 7th, 10.15 uh, a.m. Eastern, Atletico Madrid versus Real Madrid. Yeah, um, and you just wonder, Barcelona have been so, so interesting this season but they're in such good form right now. Um, Lionel Messi, again, brilliant. Um, man, I just, like, for all that's gone wrong and all the negativity, why not them? Yeah, we'll be talking about all the Thursday, what's going on uh, midweek. So keep your eyes open for that. This was fun, my friend. I enjoyed this, as always. Yeah, no, it was great, and I can't wait to talk to people on Thursday. Yep. I uh, hope you have a good week. We'll talk later in the week to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, bro. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.